0: So welcome to the very first event in the 2021 Lockdown Leadership Conference, where our core theme is making hybrid work. And in this session, I'm running a panel interview on the topic that I think needs to be the absolute core of all of our decisions about how to move from lockdown into either full-time back at the office or part-time back at the office. That is preventing burnout, and supporting employee well-being because any decision that we make as a business that doesn't do that is going to affect performance it's going to affect mental health it's going to affect the people in our teams and it's going to affect profits but how can we make well-being and preventing burnout the core of our decision making without badges of honor for underperformance and sacrificing the KPIs that is exactly what Susie Fish Nicholas Corrigan and Lisa Lord are going to share with you today so Please listen or watch. And then at the end, I'd love to hear from you. Let me know via social media with the hashtag makinghybridwork and tag me, Claire Yosa. What is your biggest takeaway from this session? I'll remind you about that at the end. And if you want to catch every every interview and every panel discussion in the Lockdown Leadership Conference running throughout June 2021, you can get your free ticket at makinghybridwork.com. The Soul Led Leaders podcast is for corporate leaders who are making waves and changing the rules with their hearts, not just their heads, but they know that their secret 3am self-talk is getting in the way. Where others stress about the status quo, you're the action taker who drives the changes and making a difference and being a crusader is hardwired into your DNA. The Soul Led Leader podcast is here to help. Led by Claire Yosa, law changer, eight times author and international speaker, each episode is designed to help you to clear out the secret glass ceilings you never realized you'd put in your own way so that you can step up showing up with all of who you really are and reclaim your power to make the difference you know you are really here to make in the world with clarity, confidence and passion. Good morning and welcome to the first panel discussion for the 2021 Lockdown Leadership Conference. I'm Claire Yosa and I'm joined here today by Nicholas Corrigan, Lisa Lord and Susie Fish. And Nick is Managing Director and Head of UK and Northern Europe Leveraged Finance for Société Générale, the International Bank. He's got over 25 years experience in the field and he heads up their leveraged finance in UK and Northern Europe. He's responsible for managing the European mid-level lending activities as well. And he is co-lead for the UK Gender Network and also Mental Health First Ada. With Lisa, she's an agile and hybrid working consultant and founder of The Lightbulb Tree, She has spent many years helping businesses to transform to become even better places to work, and she has a special passion for hybrid and agile working that she's going to be sharing with us today. And Susie Fish is a partner and patent attorney at Boltway Tenant, and she's spent a long time specializing in this field in aerospace and medical devices with a PhD in biomedical engineering. And she's also co-lead for the Women in IP, the IP Inclusive Committee. Um, which supports women under the IP inclusive umbrella is a cross-profession nationwide initiative set up to raise awareness of an increased diversity across the IP profession in the UK. So welcome to our panellists. And I hope everybody on the recording, everybody who's here live as well can hear us. If you can give me a hello via the chat and let me know where in the world you're joining us from this morning. And I'm going to dive in with my first question for our panellists, which is... How have you seen lockdown and remote or hybrid working impacting well-being and burnout? And it's over to you, panellists. Who would like to take this one first?
1: I'm happy to jump in. Thank you, Nick. Um, and firstly, good morning, everyone. Welcome. Uh, lovely to be here. Thanks for the invite, Claire. Uh, I, th- I wanted to join because I think this is uh, a fantastic topic and obviously clearly uh, hugely relevant for today's working practice. From my perspective in an investment bank, um, this has changed the world of how we've been working and and the hybrid structure. We've been at home for for most of the last 12 months, uh, in and out between lockdowns, following um, the government advice. And I think the one issue that I would like to point out about how it's impacted work, I think, is around... um, a few a few uh sort of more obvious issues but one is uh the commute time Uh, I think when we first went in to the lockdown I think there was a view that that this was actually quite a good thing in a way because many of us have been traveling quite some time on the commute into the office and now we felt we had that time for friends and family um and and time away which which uh Felt like it freed up a, an enormous amount of time, uh, and that, to an extent, I think has become true. and And it's not unusual, I think, for people to travel an hour into work one way. That's two hours a day, ten hours a week. That's that's an extra day a week just in commuting. And if you could convert that into friends and family time, one would consider that to be a positive uh, change. And I think what has happened. Uh, Instead, to some degree, and this will depend on some institutions, that time has been eroded away and has been given to work time, um, actually. So what has happened for many, I think, is that extra work day a week has been put into work and Mm -hmm. maybe away from family and friends. So what some people are finding, I think, is that you've got six days work in five days. And Mm -hmm. if you combine that with the, uh, the social elements of being apart from each other and, and being isolated, um, it has a great impact on people. So I th- for me, I think that has been one of the most noticeable aspects is a feeling that we had freed up some commute time for friends and family, but actually, uh, in some cases, that has just been transferred into another workday a week overlay that with the, the social distancing and some cost pressures in the industry, it has had a significant impact on people.
0: Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Susie, any thoughts from you on how you've seen lockdown or remote or hybrid working, impacting wellbeing and burnout?
2: I think there's been some positives and some negatives. Um, And it's very easy to kind of focus on one of them. But following on from from something that Nick mentioned, um, I saw an article in the the BBC, and I thought it was quite an insightful one. And actually, it had a a tagline that said, uh, for millions of people working from home has felt more like sleeping in the office, Uh, making it harder to switch off. And I think that's been one of the things that I've noticed, not necessarily personally, but but I've heard people saying. Um, And I think alongside that, um, I think, as as Nick was saying, you know, there's been this this erosion of the extra time from the commute um, that maybe has fallen into work time. But I think also the positives have been that, you know, personally, I might work early on a Saturday morning, and I might send emails to my team early on a Saturday morning, but I make it very clear to them that I'm not expecting them to be working then, because actually what I've done is been able to go and collect my daughter from school at half past three and take a time to have a, a snack with her. So so although hours may sometimes look longer that doesn't necessarily mean they are it might mean that you've been able to increase your flexibility in some ways and I think that that it's going to be really important going forward to make that clear that you don't expect that from people because otherwise it can have a real negative impact on people um, and I think one of the the real positives of this is that there have been some more there's been a lot more openness around mental health so I've had many more conversations with many more people around mental health that maybe wouldn't have happened if we weren't in lockdown. And I'm hopeful that that will continue going forwards. Um, but then again, on that, that negative side, um, I think a lot of the uncertainty around the last 14-15 months has had a real negative impact and that's on me personally on, on others um, and I wonder how that will look going forwards and I think that makes it really key that we're quite intentional about how we move going forwards um, to make sure that we we support people um, but yes yeah, so that's kind of how I see it there are positives and negatives and it's, it's really important to, to be open about those
0: thank you Susie Lisa how about you
3: some really great points and thank you again for the invite. It's great to be here. And Susie and Nicker brought some really good points up that I've definitely seen and also felt myself. So I found talking to other people and myself that particularly lockdown one, it was almost like we pressed pause. So we were still working, but we were able to sort of press pause and look at the world differently. We were all going through it together. Um So we called it the Corona Coaster, riding that change curve of emotions together and a few loop-the-loops. But but I think because we were all in it together, it was so much easier, as Susie said, for us to talk about it um, and and acknowledge that our emotional situation was changing by the minute sometimes. And everybody was in an individual bubble in in, in all of the lockdowns. We've all been in individual bubbles. So our experiences have been slightly different. So our levels of anxiety have been slightly different. Some people have thrived um, and other people, and even those that have thrived, we've still had this sort of up and down range of reactions. I think I've seen a lot of people working very long hours. It's almost as though we lost the respect for... um, time that wasn't work time before bear with me just one second apologies hey fever <laughs> and um we, we it was almost like we lost that you know that respect so I was talking to to friends who were finding that in the you know with the U.S. colleagues meetings were slot, slotting in at nine ten o'clock at night or <laughs> um you know d- depending on the time zone early mornings meetings were popping in because we almost had nothing else to do mm. uh, so some people were good at keeping the boundaries Um, and other people felt that they they didn't know how to establish those boundaries so I think that's a really a positive it's a really positive thing to take away as we move forward what do we learn from that and how do we create new boundaries because as we've come in coming out of the restrictions people are starting to find they want to use time for different things Um, and there's almost a guilt rising up in some people about well I used to work such long hours in lockdown and now I don't want to because I've got other things to do. So it's, Mm. I think it's being fair on ourselves. Susie made a really, really good point. That's something that I, I used to encourage um, pre lockdown when we were changing ways of work and it's called time chunking. And it's about tapping into your own energies, tapping into your own needs and doing things that you want to do. So if you've got family, pick them up from school, drop them off, but work in different ways at different times to meet the different tasks. It doesn't have to be crammed into this traditional box of time. Um, But as long as other people understand how you're working and there's no obligation on them, I think that's a really good point that Susie made about that. I think the other thing that's, going back to the individuality, people's different situations and trying to, people... I think initially we we're very compassionate to each other's situation. So some people homeschooling, you couldn't avoid it. You could see the, mm. the children sort of around in the background or the pets walking across the keyboard or whatever was happening. But as we as we move out of restrictions, I think it's respecting that I think we've still got some fluidity needed to react to. What we don't know is ahead, um, whether there's a tier structure or something else. So I think for leaders, that's challenging because we're going through the change ourselves. We're having to support other people. And each person's situation is different. There isn't a one size fits all.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Lisa. I've got a question now for those of you watching us live. I'd love to hear from you via the chat is in your experience. What are the main triggers for burnout and overwhelm? What do you see pushing people towards burnout, either in your own organization or colleagues working for other organizations? Let me know via the chat. And I want to move on to the next question then for our panelists to give you a time to do some typing. Is, are there any mistakes that you've seen organizations or individuals making over the last 15 months that can add to burnout and overwhelm? We've already talked about lack of boundaries, And, you know, these nine o'clock calls with the states out of hours stuff. But is there anything else that you've seen that is maybe well-intentioned that's accidentally increased overwhelm? Lisa, can I start with you on that one?
3: I think the really big one for me is the dictatorial demand that people will return to the office Mm
1: -hmm. without
3: actually talking to their employees about how does that impact on them? Because it's not like flicking a switch. Not everybody's situation has eased up enough for them to just go straight back to the, the workplace, and so I think for me, I've I've seen that in a number of places, um, and I get where it's coming from.
0: Mm.
3: However, I think it's 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 definitely caused resentment, frustration, upset, and you know, real worry for
0: people. Mm. Absolutely. And Lisa, one of the things I know I've definitely seen is for a lot of us, the childcare arrangements we had before that allowed us to go into an office still aren't replaced. Mm. They're still not there. And we need, you know, it's almost, I don't know if you found this as well, Lisa, Nick and Susie, it can feel like a shock of, but hang on, we used to manage this juggling before. Why can't I do it now? And it's because a lot of the support structure we had around us to allow us to do that juggling isn't there. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Nick, what are your thoughts? Have you seen any sort of well-intentioned stuff that maybe has backfired, or any mistakes people have been making trying to prevent burnout for themselves or organisations?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because initially, when we um, when we all started working from home, um, you know, the the level of relationship interaction just fell off the cliff uh, mm-hmm. immediately, and everyone resorted really to emails much of the time and and just trying to uh, uh, detail over emails and what we all have understood for for quite some time certainly when it applies to marketing and and sort of general relationship building is that a face-to-face meeting with somebody is the most powerful tool you have to build a relationship in my view at least and sometimes it might be you know 10 phone calls that could potentially have the impact of one face-to-face meeting and in my mind maybe 20 or 30 emails before you start hitting the same relationship impact of one face-to-face meeting so for us to remove that most powerful tool for relationship building overnight and everyone resorting to emails Mm -hmm. um, over the the subsequent weeks and months you know you really felt that people were were actually uh, isolated And when you did speak to them, that you could tell that things were were more challenging. So the institution quite rightly, and and I I did my very best at the time, is to sort of ramp up those phone calls, Mm -hmm. um, get the video camera going, try as uh, as much as possible to get back to a face-to-face as best we can with the social media. Um, And that was great. But then I think we tipped over, uh, and, and I hear this a lot from uh, from friends in the industry as well, where um, there were just so many meetings mm. put in the diary for people that actually, you know, with, with a very positive view of trying to make everybody feel engaged and together, that um, you know it became quite difficult to do the day job because mm. you have so many meetings and calls and. And so forth so there then for me there needed to be a balance and it's and it's very difficult it's it will be a different balance for each organization and for each person but try to find that optimum position between the phone calls the meetings the emails to try uh and and check in with people because um i think initially it took quite some time for people to realize uh, you know, I haven't spoken to this person for two weeks and they're in my team. This is this is crazy. Typically, I would be speaking to them every day, just walking by the desk or mm. uh, by the coffee machine or whatever it might be. And so you need to be actually as a, a manager, I think very regimented. And, and it sounds possibly too much, but you you really need to be aware of how many times you're interacting with members of your team to make sure that you don't get to a point where you really haven't spoken to somebody for two or three weeks and that can happen in this environment um and that, that I think when, when we move to a more hybrid arrangement where we're in the office a couple of days a week um or three days a week and at home between the two it will become a lot easier mm-hmm. but that for me ha- has been um some of the you know uh, the difficulties of making this work from home uh and finding that balance to make sure people aren't aren't left out uh, across the team and obviously even more difficult when you're managing um, significant numbers of people I think but that that really should be the role of a manager I think to make sure that you cover everybody.
0: Thank you Nick, thank you. And Susie what are your thoughts on this one? Any mistakes that you've seen well even with the best of intentions?
2: I think mine are very similar to Nick's so the email inbox has become, uh, you know, we talk about triggers. My email inbox is, is my big trigger, to be honest. Um, and, and the meetings. And I think one of the things I did uh, very early on in lockdown, in fact, on day one of lockdown, was set up uh, a twice a weekly meeting for my team on Zoom, uh, making very clear that it wasn't mandated. Um, but actually, that was that was a really helpful thing. And, and hopefully, that has been helpful and not, not a negative impact. Um, but one of the things around meetings, and this is less in my organization, but I've heard it in others, is um, people booking in meetings, even when people have already had their calendar full. And this then leads into what Nick was talking about, is you can spend an entire day in meetings. Sometimes you're supposed to be in two or three at the same time. Um, and then you're supposed to do your day job. And, and when are you doing that? And I think, you know, I'm not sure. And I've, I have asked other people. IT is not my specialty. But Outlook doesn't seem to have this kind of thing where it says, actually, you can't book that person there. They're already busy. Stop it. Um, you know, for example, my, my husband doesn't work on a Friday. And uh, he regularly has three or four meetings booked in on a Friday. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that that's somebody not looking. And, and, mm-hmm. and I think that is something that has been a real difficulty throughout this. I think meetings are great. And I think, you know, the, the Zoom has been amazing. But, but booking people into meetings when they're already in a meeting or when they are booked out as focus time is not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have heard of that a number of times.
0: Absolutely. Thank you for that, Susie. And yeah, I mean, what you're saying about your email inbox, one of the things a lot of my clients are finding, and it's actually come up in the comments here, is that you know, Teams, for example, has become another email box. There's no opportunity to switch it off. There's an organization I've been running a leadership development program with to prevent burnout, and one of their biggest triggers for burnout is actually the constant pinging from teams, which they're not allowed to turn off, and it can be 50 or 60 times an hour, and if somebody doesn't respond to that ping within 10 minutes, it gets escalated to their manager and then their director, and everything has suddenly become urgent. We've lost the ability to flow because everybody has been stressed Yep, so we've got, yep, Teams is great, but constant notifications on my personal phone is very stressful. Some of the other triggers people have listed is not being able to switch off after work, the lines between work and home becoming blurred, frantic juggling of all work and home elements without any downtime. Yeah, the commute, although it was long, it was a time to decompress the work self before switching to the home self. Yeah, nods here, yeah. Staff have not had the opportunities to share how they're feeling. So they're feeling isolated and overwhelmed, leading to burnout and not being seen. We need to pick up the phone and ask how you are. And this is a really key thing. is sometimes actually picking up a phone rather than scheduling a call. It can actually feel like a relief going back to that old way of communicating instead of being on video. It's that mixing it up, yeah? Other stuff that we've got through is far too many emails, which Nick, you mentioned. Um, Too many meetings that could be emails, yeah, is because we no longer have to book rooms and we don't have to fly people in. It can be too easy to book meetings sometimes with people. Um, Everything defaults to multiples of 30 minutes. So a meeting that, you know, you guys have described, you could walk past somebody's desk and it would take two minutes to answer a question suddenly becomes a 30 minute meeting. And another comment we've got is lack of clear agendas for meetings, meaning you sit there for half an hour and wonder why am I even here and what have we achieved? Yeah. So it's the really basic stuff that, because everybody's been stressed and trying to do things in such an unfamiliar way, has perhaps got lost that's been adding to the burnout triggers. So thank you. Do keep those comments and ideas coming via the chat as we move on to the next question. So For all the panelists, how can leaders and colleagues support team members in returning to the office or hybrid working, creating a culture of well-being, preventing burnout, yeah, without this burnout becoming like a badge of honor with everybody working so hard, without sacrificing the KPIs what sort of things are you recommending what are you doing yourself you know, what sort of strategies could we be implementing and Susie if I can I'd like to talk to you because I've really been enjoying your LinkedIn post lately where you've been sharing this journey for yourself as an individual with your day-to-day choices on this and I know you've got some strategies as well that you've been implementing. Thanks, Claire.
2: Um, yes, this is something that is, is really key for me, and um, Claire mentioned at the beginning that I'm part of a group called IP Inclusive, uh, and one of the things that they uh, published recently was a top 10 tips into how to return to hybrid working, um, being inclusive. and we're kind of looking at how we can implement those within my firm. Um, and I'm looking at how I can implement them within my own team. And one of the things that we're looking at is for everybody to have a personal return plan. So with their with their manager to sit down and say how they would like to return. Now, being mindful of the fact there are people who want to come back to the office five days a week. You know, we have people who are back in already five days a week because that suits them. That's what, what is better for them. Uh, and there are people who may may have wanted to move away and therefore may be coming in much less frequently. Um, And so obviously not everybody will get everything they want. Um, But once we've gone through that, that means that then we can look at the the setup of workspaces and and so on to to accommodate those people. and I think that being open to, to change, not accepting that this is going to be a fluid process process going forwards. Um, and one of the other things I think is really important uh, looking at this is presenteeism and being very wary. Uh, not wary, that's the wrong word, making sure that somebody isn't rewarded just for being there all the time. And somebody it's not detrimental if they are not there all the time. Uh, and I think there's going to have to be a lot of intentionality around that. And that's something we might come on to, to, to later. Um, but it's about not making assumptions, you know, not assuming you know how people want to come back, you know, not assuming that just because I have two children that I want to be working at home all the time. You know, it's it's making sure that we we challenge those assumptions and actually ask um about what people are actually looking for so so that's that's my initial thoughts
0: thank you susie quick one for everybody who's watching live have you come across organizations actually asking that question of employees actually asking i'm not going to name anybody but let me know via the chat has your organization asked you what you want do you know of any organizations that have because I'm really curious. It's a really important thing to be doing. And I think what's been happening is a lot of people have got groups together that are making these decisions on behalf of people. And what you're describing there, Susie, with that personal plan, obviously accepting that not everybody's going to get everything they asked for, it allows people to feel heard, to feel they've bought into the why, yeah, and to be on board with the next round of decisions. So thank you. Um, Nick, over to you, if I may, with that one.
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I mean to just touch on, on that, uh, that last point. Yes, uh, Society General has asked mm. uh, us in the UK what we would like, what the balance should be, um, asking our forest and coming up with a strategy mm. that, that differs between different teams, client-facing, middle office, mm. back office, so forth, as to what works for everybody, which I think is exactly the right way mm. to go about uh, the subjects. I'm very pleased, I'm very pleased to say. And that's developing and work in progress as we as we move through uh, the next few weeks. Um, but from my perspective in in the team, you know, how do we prevent burnout? How do we migrate back to the more hybrid version? Um, you know, I think we've touched on many of the the points already. I think when we're at home, there's, you know, video calls are are key. Less of the emails, less of the meetings that that don't necessarily are not necessarily vital, um, but also focus on um, giving people that time, that balance within the old commute time for Mm -hmm. for work-life balance issues, Mm -hmm. uh, friends and family, taking a break. For us on the investment banking side, we can work very long hours. There can be some weekend work. It it can be quite tough for a period of time where, where there are very strict deadlines. What's critical with that is that there's a period of recovery available for people Mm -hmm. who have uh, engaged in in those types of processes. I think one of the most dangerous uh, elements of managing a team is not focusing on what people are are doing and just putting them onto one process after another without Mm. a break. and, And a constant treadmill of very challenging timelines is is a recipe for disaster frankly there needs to be more thought for recovery time for people and that's all very easy to say in today's uh, environment the reality is it's extremely difficult because resources are are tough at the moment people are very cost conscious and maybe you don't have um, so many people to allow that process to work as it once mm-hmm. did but nevertheless there needs to be an understanding that unless you look to provide that recovery time mm. you you may not have a team to worry about uh in the future so it's vitally important to to worry about that the the, the other technique I, I mean I, I hate to say technique because it, it sounds a bit too uh sort of uh, sh- uh, thought through but I quite like um the non-work phone call from uh, some managers or other colleagues where mm. somebody actually just calls you and they're not talking about work. And, and I try to do this with, mm-hmm. with some of my team. You phone specifically to ask about everything other than work, no, no deal processes. And it doesn't have to be half an hour. You know, it can be a relatively short period of time where you're just simply asking about how's the family? Uh, what did you do at the weekend? Um, because there's so many other Uh, avenues for talking about work-related issues and deal processes and team Mm -hmm. meetings and so forth to get that call um out of the blue from a manager just asking how how you are and refusing to talk about work you know if if the if the recipient starts trying to move it onto a deal process you move it away and and really uh, guard that time very carefully um for for non-work issues and i think that's um very powerful, actually, and, and and helpful. Certainly, I find that helpful when it happens to me, um, mm-hmm. and quite um, uh, reinvigorating actually for getting back into things post that call. You feel like some that, mm-hmm. that actually this is a group of human beings working together as a as a team and not just a production line. I, I think that's quite an important uh, process. Um, so yes, that's that's. Uh, how I would see managing that process back between the, the balance of in the office and uh, at home. Um.
0: Thank you, Nick. And that's a really great point you've just made there. I know, Lisa, as we come to you, it's something you're really passionate about with the leaders being human, mm. yeah, and not having to leave who we are at the door of the virtual office. So thank you, Nick. Lisa, what are your thoughts on this one?
3: Yeah, I absolutely agree believe that people should be human I think what I loved about the initial stages of the first lockdown was how human we were to each other Mm. and how compassionate and I think keeping some of that going forward is really important so moving forward and 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 I resist using the go back to the office because I think a lot of organizations are still feeling a little bit wobbly about you know do we do we flip back to the way things were, or do we look at this opportunity to decide what we could do going forward, and also I think things still feel unstable for people. So um, we don't need to find this, the final solution yet.
0: Mm.
3: I think it's it's keeping that um, curiosity to to try new things and and work out what's going to work best for the next phase. Of beyond that, we can work out when we get to that. And I think that's that's quite a different way of thinking. Mm. So some of the things that are um, are really helpful to keep connection and keep our well being going are um, around using a team centred approach. So you're looking after each other. I use team agreements in more hybrid teams where each team. So an organisation might have a backbone of behaviours and guidelines, and this is what we we want. We want people to come together with purpose. So come. get together it might be the office it might not be there's an awful lot of organizations that have pulled out of their office contracts Mm -hmm. and leases and are just thinking what do we do next or there might be reduced space so it's thinking differently about how do we get together and how do we get together with purpose so why are we getting together what do we want to achieve I think there will be resentment if we all lug our laptops into work to sit and just do emails. Um, so I, <laughs> I think we need to be thinking about why, why are we going, the big why. And I'm I'm hearing a lot of people saying that, but, they, but there's almost not the bravery to say it to the organisation. And I think we need to be braver and say it to the organisation. Um, so why am I coming back? What What's going to be achieved? Um, because I don't feel life is stable enough yet. So understanding what each individual wants, connecting it to a team purpose. So that's where we we hold on to the KPIs. We're looking at what does the team need to deliver? What's my individual contribution to that? And that gives leaders and managers a really good check-in way of sort of helping understand how each person is and how, how we're delivering to the team objectives. And actually gives something to look forward to. If we all know we're coming together to you know, to work through this particular phase of um, deals or projects or what have you, it, there's an excitement about that. We we can overcome our anxiety or resistance or worry about the commute, and that's, that, for me, seems to be the biggest worry for people, whatever style of commute you have. Getting to the work location seems, you know, being in the work location is okay. Being at home is okay. It's that bit in the middle that people aren't always that confident about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing, and I love I love Susie's individual plan, um, I've been helping organisations and people think about an individual return to work plan a bit like if you've been off for a while, whether a sabbatical or long-term absence or something, a gradual return. So come in for half a day um, and, and travel outside of, because we are starting to see the rush hour come back, travel outside of that, come in for half a day, Um, because actually it's going to exhaust people so from a well-being perspective that exhaustion of returning to a commute whatever our commute is that that will be tiring I've done that myself Um, I have a you know I've I've got a corporate role as well as my business and the first day I went back into the organization workplace was absolutely shattering it's almost as bad as those back-to-back Zoom conversations and you sort of fall onto the sofa at the end of the day after eight hours of Zoom meetings. So just being aware of that that transition in our own physical and mental um, health, it's really exhausting. I'm seeing some organisations use some of their, their travel budgets for wellbeing budgets mm. um, because obviously a lot saved a lot of money on travel because we didn't go anywhere, still mm. not going anywhere um and they're using it for quite creative well-being some are giving people individual options you know that we're giving each person this much money to think about how they can support mm-hmm. their well-being because obviously massages in the office if you're not there it's not really a benefit gym memberships people still aren't feeling necessarily that motivated about going into an indoor space mm-hmm. i do outdoor boot camps now which is awesome except in the rain um <laughs> quite refreshing. Um, so, and the other thing I'm working with people on is giving them giving the employees permission to say to the managers, I'm really uncomfortable about this, can we talk it through? So helping managers coach more, adopt that coaching style of leadership is you know, just talk to people on a human level, like you would your family, friends. You know, what can we do to support you? How does that feel? It's just really coaching people through it, because everybody's feeling different levels of anxiety in different ways. And we might not understand what's triggering that. I think that's really quite That's critical. such a key. That's such a key. Yeah.
1: Um,
3: and then I think that the, the thing that we spoke about, which I love to share with people, is the battery analogy. Mm. So I've got an analogy which I use, which is three batteries. as us as individuals, there's our teams, and there's our organisations. So we have a responsibility to keep ourselves topped up, whatever our well-being needs are and how that looks, we should always try and put ourselves first where we can. So, because it's oxygen mask, isn't it? If we mm-hmm. if we're not at our best, we can't do our best for anybody. Um, so looking after ourselves and then keeping our team battery topped up, how do we keep connected to our team and charge that up? Mm-hmm. And then to the organization is what are we doing? to keep charged up with the organisation, how connected do we feel, how engaged do we feel, if we're not, what do we do
0: about it and who do we need to talk to. So,
3: Thank you, me. Lisa. That's
0: a fantastic strategy there. Susie, I know you had something you wanted to add.
2: Yeah, it was following on from something Nick had mentioned and, and that I thought was um, really important uh, around the calls about non-work-related issues. Um, And the meeting I mentioned, I'd set it with my team a couple of times a week. Um, I think I've actually got to know my team uh, better over lockdown because those calls, with the exception of maybe in in advance, I might say this is a work-related issue um, that we need to discuss, are non-work-related. So it's talking about, you know, what do they do at weekends and, and so on. And it's been absolutely lovely I think, to get to know them more. And I sit within a number of different groups in, in my firm. And, and so I've had those meetings where I'm not the the, the one running them. And and so I've, I think I've got to know some people much better through lockdown. And I think that's been lovely because of that intentionality around it, because of that making sure to have conversations that are not just about work-related matters Um, and then as as Lisa was was talking there was something that really came out around what what people can do to help Um, and one of the things it's much like when you go on holiday you know a lot of it's in the excitement about the planning and it's coming up and things we've been putting on quite a lot of um uh events so chocolate tasting uh, various uh, there was cocktail making uh it's not all around food um and 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 in the easter holidays we had donut making that was for families as well as individuals and and actually having the 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 the, the coming up to that people talking about it it gave something different and then coming out the other side um, and so I'm hopeful that things like that will equally you know keep running going forwards because we have offices in various places um, but you can stay in contact with people in those different offices via these more virtual events um, and I think that's been a really useful use of budget that like Lisa say may have otherwise been used on 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 travel and, and other events um, so yeah just taking on from those two points that 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 were great so thank you
3: thank that's you really, Susie thank you Lisa can I just add sorry that's a really really good point actually Susie just reminded me because when I used to look after well-being in corporate life we did that intentionally when we moved to a more agile way of working we set up events both virtually and in person to you know for people to enjoy and to connect with and it used it, you did literally could hear the buzz whether it was virtual, whether it was, you know, particularly in the office, you could hear the buzz raise and people chit-chatting about it, and particularly food. Food just seems to be a winner, doesn't
1: it?
0: (laughs) It's a unifier, isn't it? Once you juggle everybody's intolerances.
1: (laughs) I mean, I jump in on that because I think one uh, one of the challenges of working from home is you don't, necessarily celebrate the successes of a business in the same way that you did when you were in the office when you're in the office something great happens you win a deal or whatever it might be a new client and uh people you know get together maybe have a couple of drinks after work or something and you're, you're all together and it's uh, it's a great feeling uh, d- during lockdown you might have the same situation and people just simply go on to the next situation the next day You you don't get together you don't go out and so I think celebrating that success uh, is so important to bringing the team together. So wherever a deal goes the right way or something works uh, in uh, as, as you as you want it to be as a team, we try and set up um, a gathering. I know it's horrible over mm-hmm. Zoom, but we all get together. Uh, we will talk about the success and, you know, raise the glass to everyone's hard work in the process. And it's really important to do that because it's so easy just to send out the email to everyone saying, well done, great job, everybody. Uh, and then suddenly you're immediately into the next process. Um, and, uh, you feel like you haven't really achieved that much other than, other than getting an email. So I think it is really important to celebrate those successes, uh, even more so when we're all at home. That's such
0: a good point, Nick, as well. And when we're doing hybrid, it's going to be so important to make sure that on the day we're celebrating, those who are not necessarily in the office are also included. It's going to be a new new way of juggling this. And I know for myself, you know, as a keynote speaker or after a panel discussion like this, everybody would finish on a high. There'd be a massive round of applause. We'd all go and have a cup of tea or something else together. And for me, I can get to the end of a 90-minute keynote, and suddenly it's just silence, followed about 30 seconds later by the children whinging that I've not given them lunch (laughs) yet, yeah? And it's so important. I've actually had to put processes in place to create that post-event high for me, or if we're doing a launch with my team, to create that celebration, because we're not there together in person to do the hugs and the high fives and the, whoa, that was so great, Yeah. So it is such an important point is to create intentional spaces to celebrate what we're achieving together, not just the day-to-day meetings. So thank you on that. We've got some great stuff in the comments here about, yes, we're being asked each quarter in our health and safety survey. Yes, um, initial discussions happening about returning to work, looking at how to make everybody feel included. And to wrap up, one minute each, please, because I do want to finish fairly on time if we can. I want to honor your time and everybody's time if you had a time machine and you could zoom forward to a year from now learning what we will have learned by then what advice would you give people today on how to prevent burnout how to foster well-being without sacrificing the KPIs just one minute each Lisa could I start with you please I think for me
3: it's using the power of pause Mm. there's very few things that we need to rush into it's it's for me it's talking to people, involving them, um, and helping people understand what good wellbeing looks like and that that's a top priority for the organisation And, and, and meshing that all the way through everything. So I think that's take the time to consider each step would be the advice
0: for today. Thank you so much. Nick, may I come to you?
1: Sure. I would hope that these types of discussions generate lessons for for organisations. So, you know, in a year's time, if we're all going back to the office five days a week and everyone's still back to the commute uh, and time away from friends and family, I think that would be disappointing. I'd like to, to hope that we do move into a hybrid environment. There is more working from home because it's so beneficial in so many great ways yes there are costs and we've covered a number of those today but we haven't really touched on on the benefits that working from home can provide around child care friends and family issues uh, time away from uh, the northern line uh, um you know there are some great things so i'm hoping in a year's time we are in that hybrid environment and and the best way that works for every individual and every organization um and, and we learn about uh, looking after people when they're not in the office, uh, and the mental health aspects that we've, that we've covered as well. So we find the best of both worlds because, there's, as in many times in life, there's always the balance between the two. It's never one or the other, typically. And there's some great things to be had with the office. There are lots of some great things and vice versa with working from home. If we can find that optimum balance between the two, I think, a lot of people will be uh, a great deal happier with their careers uh, and it will lead to uh, um, greater levels of uh, retention and uh, and well-being in the office. So fingers crossed that's that's where we are in a year's time.
0: Thank you, Nick. And Susie, over
2: to you. Uh, yeah, so I have a couple of things. I think one is uh, to start setting up for hybrid now to make sure that there are maybe guidelines put in place for people running hy- hybrid meetings, not to be trying to think of that when we are actually in the situation, but to be looking at it in advance, um, you know, making sure that the screens are in place, the meeting rooms are ready. Um, and alongside that, if if people are wanting to have people coming back into the office, think about how we want that to look, Um, you know, make that office somewhere that you want people to, that people will want to come into. Um, So really, you know, think about that now so that, Um, uh, along that line of what we were talking about, about maybe having teams coming in for reasons. Do we have rooms there Mm -hmm. that you can get people to have coffees delivered into? And, you know, those kind of things, nice breakout spaces. But to do that now, to start looking at it now, rather than in a year's time um, when everybody is just, you know, coming back, as Nick said, hopefully not uh, into five days a week, because that's how it works, because things aren't set up. So I think we should be looking at that now. Um, But I'm really excited to see how this goes forwards. Um, And I'm really hopeful that it will end up in a situation where everybody can have uh, things that work for them individually. And and thank you, Claire. Thank you for inviting me today.
0: Thank you, Susie, so much. And quick bit of audience participation as we wrap up. I'd love to hear from you over on social media, whether that's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn, using the hashtag MakingHybridWork. What is your one big takeaway from this panel discussion today? Tag me. I'll make sure I pass your wonderful feedback on to our brilliant speakers. So that's MakingHybridWork is the hashtag, and tag me, Claire Yosa. What is your biggest takeaway today? What action are you going to take? Thank you so much to Lisa, to Nick and to Susie for giving your time today to help to inspire people to share your experiences. I have got so many notes. This has been a great session. So I know everybody that's been watching this live or who gets the replay is going to find insights and actionable inspiration in there um the replay page you'll find details of how to connect with Susie Nick and Lisa if you want to please pass them on a thank you and thank you to all of you for helping us to launch the lockdown leadership conference it's been wonderful to get to spend time with you today and thank you for sharing your time
1: thank you Claire. pleasure thank Thanks, you very Claire. much
0: show notes, deep dive resources, and access to Claire's inspirational weekly soul-led leaders. Email is available for you at claireyosa.com forward slash soul-led leaders.